Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 17. The Silver Quill. When James got home on Friday night, his head was filled with unanswered questions. What was the chalk mole up to? How was number eight going to steal the treasure? What even was the treasure? But his first thought was about the feather and the symbol. He took out the paper from number eight's desk and put it on his own. Then he took out the feather. She had been using it as a quill, but why? And by the state of her room and the fact that the feather was in the bin, he guessed that whatever she was trying to do, she hadn't succeeded. He looked at the symbol and the feather. It didn't look like a quill. The end of it was rounded and blunt, no good for writing with ink. And it hadn't worked for number eight. But then, James realised, she didn't have the silver nib. Of course, the nib went on the feather to turn it into a quill. He found Elf's box and took out the beautiful silver nib. It did not look like it was made to go on the end of a normal-looking feather, but he slipped it on anyway. And it fit. Not just size-wise, but it felt right when he pushed it on. And the pattern engraved on the nib seemed to continue along the shaft of the feather. It felt just right in his hand. He traced it over number eight's symbol. Maybe whatever she had been trying would now work for him. He checked his desk for ink, but couldn't find any. He knew that he had some spare cartridges in his pencil case, but it was in his locker at school. He took the quill apart and put the nib and feather in the box, and decided that any further investigation would have to wait until the following day. Despite the Green Hand Gang's endeavours at Rodine on the previous day, all the talk on Friday was about the royal performance. This was the last chance for practice and rehearsals before Saturday, and it was the last day of school before Christmas, and so it was a mad mix of excitement and frantic preparation and glee. It was a half-day, and there were no normal lessons either. Just form time, coupled with as much time as possible with their performance groups. Jenny's dance group had managed to procure the drama studio for most of the morning to use for their final run-throughs. James spent his time at the back of the studio. They had managed to drag a desk into the back of the room so that James could plug a school netbook in. It was actually useful being able to watch the dancing while working on the lights. The street dance group, a blur of movements and resets and more movements over and over again. I want to be able to track two people at once, James said, when Jenny and a few of the other dancers took a break and gathered behind him. Benj said that their system could do it, but I don't see how I can do it in the same sequence. Can you load two different files? Jenny asked. I think there's a way of having multiple tracks to the sequence, James said, but I spent the last 20 minutes looking on the internet and found nothing particularly useful. Better to either leave it or make a separate track that Benj can use, Jenny said. James rubbed his eyes. He had been staring at screens a lot recently. He needed a break, so at lunch went to play table tennis, via his locker to pick up some ink cartridges. 
There was noise and commotion everywhere. All the musical groups were rehearsing in any space they could find. When James arrived in the hall, where table tennis usually was, he found a drumming group making a terrible racket. Fred and Wilf must have had the same idea. They wandered in as James was deciding whether they could squeeze a table tennis table into the corner near the stage. Sounds great, Wilf said, tapping his foot to the rhythm. It is a little on the loud side, Fred said. They ended up in the IT suite. It was the only place that was deserted, even if it was filled with the screens that James had hoped to avoid. I've had a go at finding out what the symbol means, Fred said. You know, the one that number eight drew. I copied it from Hugo. It could mean house or something similar. It's home, Wilf said. My dad works on translations, and he put it through some service his work uses. Didn't cost anything, because they do thousands of translations all the time. Person on the other end of the service said it was a super old-fashioned way of writing. James took out the feather and the nib, and showed the other two how they fitted together. Why would she keep writing the same thing over and over? Fred asked. Sounds like practice, Wilf said. Those characters are hard to get right. My dad made me rewrite it before he put it through his translator. Made my hand ache. I want to try it with the silver nib, James said. Number eight only had the feather. She never even saw the nib. He took out a spare ink cartridge, a small ink refill for his fountain pen. He never used the fountain pen. It was too messy but he'd kept the spare cartridges nonetheless. It was a sealed plastic tube, so he pulled his wire cutters out from the bottom of his bag to snip it open. Wait, Fred said. That'll make a mess. Hang on. The other boy dug around in his bag for his pencil case, took out his pen, unscrewed it, and pulled the half-used cartridge out. Wilf grabbed a sheet of paper from the recycling tray next to the printer. James put number eight's paper with the symbol on it next to it. Then he squeezed a drop of ink from the cartridge onto the end of the silver nib. His first stroke with the quill was a thick blobby mess, but after that the strokes were smooth and fine. He copied the symbol onto the paper, then looked at it. What's supposed to happen? Wilf asked. I don't know, James said. Something, or nothing maybe. The other two boys each took a turn. Then James tried again. All three agreed that the nib wrote smoothly and that they had accurately reproduced number eight's home signal. It was, after all, just four simple pen strokes. He wasn't sure what he thought would happen, but James felt sure that they were missing something. He just didn't know what. Hang on, Wilf said. My cousin's been studying Chinese at her boarding school. Keeps bringing home all these pictures with Chinese symbols on them. Well, actually, I think she does French now, but she used to do Chinese. James waited for the Year 7 boy to make his point. Point is, that all her writing isn't done with a pen. It's not Western calligraphy. She had to learn how to use a brush. James looked down at the quill in his hand. The silver nib was perfect for writing English words. He turned the quill around and looked at the top of the feather. It was, he thought, remarkably like a fine brush. There was no harm in trying, apart from perhaps a little mess. 
He squeezed the last drops of Fred's ink onto the fine, brush-tipped end of the feather. Then he looked at the two other boys before turning the printer paper over to the blank side. He knew from the moment that the feather tip touched the paper that this was how the quill was supposed to be used. It felt weightless in his hand. No, less than weightless. He actually had to pull it down to meet the paper. He drew a slightly wobbly first line with his first brush stroke, and the feeling of weightlessness grew stronger, moving from just the quill to his right hand and arm. He took his left hand and steadied his wrist, holding it down. On the second brush stroke, his whole body tingled. He lifted his knees against the underside of the desk, determined to finish the symbol. Are you okay? Fred asked. Yes, James said through gritted teeth. He forced the quill back down, making a mess of the third brush stroke. By now, the quill was fighting its way out of his hand, upward toward the ceiling. Help me get it down, he said, and the other boys grabbed his arm and pulled it back down to the page. His last brush stroke was his worst. He jabbed the tip of the feather in roughly the right place and started to drag it down, but it didn't make a mark. Out of ink, Wilf said. James felt the energy of the quill persist, willing him to complete the symbol, but he could not. He felt an icy breeze on his face, like the draught through a keyhole on a cold winter's night. And above the paper, he saw where the wind was coming from, a tiny square of different light. He leaned forward to get a better look. Lunch is over, Mrs. Denman's voice called over the door. Back to form rooms, you three. The spell was broken. The icy breeze had gone, and so had the square of light. He looked down at the paper. His attempt at the symbol looked more like a toddler's drawing of a clown's face. He put the quill away in the box. What just happened? Will asked on the way out. I'm not sure, James said. I felt like I was getting lighter and lighter. Did you feel that wind? Yeah, Fred said. Cold. By the end of form time, everyone was close to manic. Last-minute preparations practising, costume tweaks, and even some tears of frustration. All because of a visit from the prince and princess. It was exciting, and everyone left school ready for Christmas, and also, hopefully, ready for the royal performance. James still had work to do on the lighting sequence, and he knew that he would be up late finishing it. He couldn't help but keep thinking about the quill, and what might have happened if he had finished number eight's symbol. Part of him was pleased that he had run out of ink. He was sure, however, that the quill in Elf's box was, in fact, the key to the air. (laughs) 